This is the Soulfully Casual Podcast hosted by Matty Ice. And now, your host, Matty Ice. Hello, everyone, and happy Monday. Hope everybody had a great weekend. Welcome back to the Soulfully Casual Podcast hosted by Matty Ice and brought to you by Matty Ice Media. It was a wonderful weekend. Pretty good, decent weather. Uh, got a little hot towards the end. But any weekend that we were able to get outside, I think, is a good one. With the Delta variant raging, uh, things are changing a little bit around us, I think. Mass mandates are kind of coming back, or at least highly suggested in certain places, and I do find myself conflicted by, about all of that, as you heard in one of last week's episodes. However, this Monday, we're not going to start with anything heavy. We're going to start with something fun, albeit something a little bit sad. Uh, to fully disclose, I'm a huge fan of the Olympics. Uh, I absolutely love it, and I find it to be some of the most compelling sports action that we could possibly see. And while this is not a sports-related show, it is sort of a human interest show. It is something that is highlighting the good things that are happening around us, even the bad things around us, and trying to put a positive spin on it. So why do I love the Olympics? Well, I actually have quite a bit of childhood memories of watching the Olympics. I can firmly remember watching the Dream Team in 1992, being a young eight-year-old, nine-year-old when the Olympics were taking place. All of the greats looking back on it, Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson. It was just incredible to see like the compiling of a team that talented full of so many superstars who at the time were not international superstars in the way that we know them today. When they were playing those teams, those countries, specifically from like Angola, for instance, or Croatia, they were, they were superstars of the highest order even on the court other players asking them for their autograph. They were followed around by the paparazzi. It was something different. And I had stickers of those Dream Team players on my wall when I was a kid. 1996, the Olympics were in the United States. It was the first time in my lifetime that I had seen a Summer Olympics in the United States. And I remember my father and I specifically watching Michael Johnson run the 200 and the 400. And it was just, I don't know, like there's memories that are associated with it. Even some of the more recent Olympics have memories with it as an adult that stick with me, made me realize something. The Olympics are very much a timestamp in certain ways. So something that happens at the frequency that it does, and I mean not very frequent, every four years, it makes them a lot more special. Take regular sports, for instance, or professional sports here in this country. We see championships, um, you know, vied for every single year. The seasons turn over on a year-to-year basis. So much of it is rinse and repeat, even if the storylines within each of the individual seasons do not rinse and repeat. We see LeBron every year, right? Players of this caliber. We see Tom Brady every year somehow in his 40s. But my point being is that there is not necessarily something special that's associated with those seasons because it's something that we see every every year. The Olympics are a lot different than that. The Olympics also move around. We are not used to seeing the same backdrop as it relates to the Olympics. The cities that are hosting them bring something special to the table, most specifically picturesque backdrops that we see during the coverage, right? And even some drama that come along with it. 2008 in Beijing, the athletes were all concerned about the smog, about the pollution, and how you would see, you know, aerial images of the city of Beijing and just see that cloud of pollution over it. And we see something similar in say Los Angeles, for instance, although during the pandemic when nobody was traveling anywhere, that cleared up and alleviated itself. But my point being is that the Olympics represent some timestamp in a different way than say the election. So the Summer Olympics and the election cycle run in the same year. But what I mean 
by the Olympics are different is we don't generally tend to think about the Olympics in the years between Olympics, uh, you know, Olympic Games. 2016, let's take that for example. Think about what the world was like in 2016. Donald Trump had yet become president. We weren't driving, we were driving toward that, but we weren't there yet. We were feeling divided. But we could all still sit down, watch the Olympics, and root for our country, the United States. And we could do so without any vitriol, without what seemed like division at the time. Rooting for the country still felt like something we all could get together and do as Americans. Fast forward to the 2020 games in Tokyo, which actually took place in 2021. Why? Because of a pandemic. And what has changed since then? Donald Trump's presidency has begun and ended, right? A pandemic happened. All of these words that are now used as weapons weren't anything we thought about in 2016. But my point is, an election, we think about that every, every year. What happens in the middle of an election, between elections, drastically changes our lives in a lot of ways. We are very much invested in what the president is doing, in the people that are surrounding the president or surrounding that administration. We have been more so tuned into that the last five years or so, nitpicking and microanalyzing every single thing that anybody in the Trump administration was doing, anybody in the White House. Even taking it a step further than that, let's go back to 2008, right? Beijing, that seems like a lifetime ago. Who was the athlete of choice then? It was Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps was vying for what had been an unprecedented feat of eight gold medals in a singular Olympic Games. The iPhone was a year old then. Facebook was you know, in its infancy still, it was four years old. Instagram hadn't even been invented yet. We were still using MySpace, right? TikTok, it wasn't there. Think about how much has changed in that time period, the way we consume our sports, the coverage, right? And now, I don't know, for some reason, I think about all of these different time periods and it makes me think about how sad I am whenever they go away. Because I know the next time that an Olympics takes place is going to be four years from now. In this particular case, it'll be three, but I'll be four years older. Life has gone on so much in that time period and it's amazing how quickly they come and how quickly they go. This Olympics came with so much controversy. The COVID-19 pandemic still out there. The variants still out there, raging in places where people are unvaccinated. Here in the United States, we are facing something a little bit different. But over in Japan, in Tokyo, the vaccination rates across the board are extremely low. For a country as wealthy and as intelligent as they are, they are getting hit by bureaucracy, red tape, government. The supply is low and the distribution of that supply is also lacking. And so coming into these games, there was a lot of fear, a lot of fear from the athletes that these games would be postponed again, right? The games were postponed for a year, which in Olympic time cycles is a lot. That's the thing, right? These athletes are giving so much to their sport, so much to their craft at such a young age for the most part. And I don't think we take into consideration what they sacrifice in the years in between. There's a lot of people who like to be armchair quarterbacks or armchair athletes who will say, so what? They're young, you know, and, and they'll judge them for something that they could, themselves could not do. Most of the sports that I watch, actually all of the sports that I watch, I could not do, let alone at the level that they are competing in these Olympic games. So a lot of controversy. And I, for one, and I have to fully disclose about this as well, I was concerned that we were going to have potential medalists be left out of the podium or left off of the podium because of the COVID-19 restrictions that seem to be dating back to 2020, that they didn't seem to be up with the times given how many people are vaccinated. 
But I have to say, there's a lot of positivity that came out of these Olympic games, a lot of positivity. I, for one, binge watched it. I usually always like to watch it, but even so, I found myself glued to the TV when I could because I just wanted to see these people compete. I wanted to see country pride on the line. I wanted to see people put themselves into these sports that they have spent so much time of their lives and sacrificed so much to get to, knowing that there were storylines of people that weren't there, like Shikara Richardson, for instance. I did an episode about that a couple weeks back, about how rules are rules, but have we thought about the rules? And I thought about that with COVID-19. Rules are rules, but have we thought about why these rules are in place when it comes to the protocols? And thankfully, no medalist was screwed out of it because of some close contact. They managed to get the Olympics off without a hitch, and they managed to do it in a way in which kept everybody safe that we know of. There were no positive cases that we heard of outside of golfers that I know, but those golfers were sent home. They didn't compete, and it didn't affect, say, Simone Biles or something like that from getting a chance to medal because she came in close contact with somebody who came in close contact. The athletes were smart. They put themselves in position to be able to compete and to be able to vie for the medals that they themselves have trained so hard for. So I wanted to take this episode to talk about why I love the Olympics, but I also wanted to highlight some of the great stories that we saw. And I want to say out front, there's no way that I could name all of the stories that happen as part of these Olympics. There were so many storylines and so many niche sports that happen that there's no way that I could cover all of them. But I wanted to take kind of an aggregate view of some of the best stories that I heard. Most of them were American stories, but not all of them. Because while we here in America focus on our own athletes and we want to be atop the medal stand, there are so many compelling human interest pieces that take place with athletes not from the United States. So I wanted to take advantage of this time and be able to share some of those with you because some of them are truly, truly heartwarming and I love them so much. I think the first thing to highlight is the fact that the Olympic spirit in and of itself was very much alive and well. And the story in my mind that really brings this out was the men's high jump. Two athletes, one from, it one from Italy and one from Qatar, I think that's how you pronounce it, uh, they finished tied. And they had the opportunity to decide how they were going to go forward. They were given the option of what's called a jump off, essentially uh, picking some height and until one of them basically made it over uh, or something like that, they were able to decide the gold medal. They looked at each other and they decided that they worked way too hard for one of the two of them to actually be left out of the gold medal. So they decided to share the gold medal. And I honestly thought that was the one of the best stories of the Olympics, uh, not to mention the extremely uh, organic interaction that they had with each other over how it was going to take place. Being told what the circumstances were by the judge, looking at each other, making the call to share it, uh, I just thought that was amazing. And the interaction that took place, the joy that took place between the two of them, sharing a hug, sharing that moment, knowing that they had been gold medalists, right? Something that you can't ever take away from them. And I think that was the right call. What's amazing is so many people in the Twitterverse wanted to say that it was a BS call, that how could you have two gold medalists? The point is of only having one winner. And it's like, let's take into consideration just how hard they both fought for this. They fought through all of the competition and they managed to stay tied right like and then being asked whether they wanted to share it or whether they wanted to compete for it they were competed out i would like to think and honestly being able to share the glory with someone else knowing that forever you will be linked to that moment i thought that was a wonderful wonderful thing it just was i don't know it was just incredible uh sticking with the track uh american sprinter noah lyles right coming in third winning the bronze in the 200 which was a disappointment coming in uh, the u.s men's track team in general 
very disappointing up until the last day of competition, not bringing home a gold until the very last competition, the 4x400. Uh, and Noah was asked about how he felt about his performance, and he said that the bronze medal was boring. But then he kind of paused, and then he began to break down crying because he realized he had been through so much. And also his brother, whose Olympic dream was actually the one that caused him to sort of tag along, was the reason that he was there. But his brother did not qualify for the Olympics. And Noah Lyles broke down crying, realizing how guilty he felt because he said, this really wasn't my dream. I feel like I was riding his coattails and he's the one who ended up making it. He's the one who's a medalist. But he had also been very outspoken about mental health issues as a lot of athletes had been in these Olympic games. And I thought it was just very touching to think about somebody else than yourself in this moment. And I feel like the NBC coverage did a pretty good job for the most part of highlighting other things than the sport and the individual, you know, than uh, during their broadcasts. Being able to allow these athletes the freedom to talk about something other than just what took place in the competition, humanizing them in a way that I felt was very, very important. Simone Biles didn't really get that at first. Right, Simone Biles was told she was weak and a quitter because she quote unquote quit on her team. When now we come to find out, there was a lot of factors that went into that, especially safety concerns. So the fact that Noah Lyles was able to talk about his brother, able to be human and cry about it on national television, when we are expecting these people to be rock solid, right? To be athletes, warriors. But really when it came down to it, he was more concerned about his brother not getting this opportunity when it was his brother's dream in 2012 to make the Olympics. And now here Noah Lyles is a bronze medalist, but feeling empty, feeling like something wasn't completed because his brother was unable to go for that same glory. And it's funny, when I talk about NBC and the coverage really highlighting what these Olympians were going through and what their families were going through, I think one of the best examples of that is Allison Felix. So I honestly feel like Allison Felix is the story of these Olympics for the mere fact of the fight that she went through with Nike after her pregnancy. One thing that we as men specifically don't take into account is just what women go through during pregnancy and after pregnancy, especially athletes, right? We expect these athletes to be out there. Nike looked at Allison Felix and basically told her that having a baby was at a detriment to her contract with them and to her performance. And they looked for her to bounce back as fast as possible because, hey, they have a brand on the line and the Olympics are coming up. We need you out there running. And she has been an advocate for women and what they go through, especially athletes, women, female athletes, what they go through on a day-to-day -day basis during training and what they have to go through after they have a baby. Having a baby should not be something that athletes are completely discounted from. They are human beings just like the rest of us and they should want to have children if that is what they want. They should have it and they should be supported by their brands. They should be supported by their fans. And I don't think she really felt that. As a matter of fact, Nike went out of their way to almost disqualify her from being a part of their team. So what did she do? She trained for the Olympics, even with a year delay at age 35, she made the team expectations were tempered. And what did she end up doing? Well, she ended up getting not only her 10th gold medal to tie Carl Lewis, but her 11th medal in order to do so. She ended up having a performance that I think she would look at and say was the best of her career. And she did it without Nike's help. She created her own brand in that time period and was running in shoes that her brand created. I think that is an amazing thing to shove it in the face of a brand. Now, let me get this you know, straight. Obviously, I love Nike as a sneaker company. I, I love wearing their sneakers, but I'm all about these brands embodying what they talk about. 
right? Practicing what they preach. And Allison Felix, to me, is a great story of that, to be able to go in there and become the most decorated track and field Olympian in American history over Carl Lewis, who was unbelievable. This is her fifth Olympic Games, not something that every athlete gets. I talked about this, I think, even in the Simone Biles episode about how the Olympics are very much once in a lifetime. Very rarely do Olympians get two, three, four, five chances to do so. Sometimes they get one window. Really depends on their sport. And Allison Felix blew that away, and I thought that was amazing. And I thought NBC did a great job when she won her bronze medal. She's got multiple gold medals in her collection, but she won that bronze, and they made sure to have her family queued up for the interview afterward. And seeing her daughter, seeing her husband, seeing her parents, I just thought it was wonderful. And I think that's what we need to remember and highlight about these games is the human interest part of it. And even so, Tom Daly of Great Britain, diver, won gold medal with his partner, Maddie Lee. I love that name, Maddie. Isn't it wonderful? They won gold medal over China. China is usually dominant in diving. And in between the synchronized men's competition and the men's platform diving, the singular later on in the, uh, in the Olympics, Tom Daly became an internet sensation for many reasons, one of which was him being a gay athlete, winning a gold medal, and also being a gay athlete who was also a father. And I think that was a theme of these Olympics in many ways, is family what these athletes sacrifice specifically as it relates to their family in order to be at the top of their sport in order to be the best they can be but tom daly also took the world by storm because what did he pick up during the pandemic that he started to do in between competitions to keep himself loose he was knitting how great is that picking up a skill that you know not many people know somebody who does like i don't know anybody who does it and just seeing him on national tv be himself talk about being a gay athlete talk about being a gay father and talk about being a gay father who is an athlete and what it takes the support that it takes from his husband the support that he gets from his son i just think it was a wonderful thing and i thought the whole thing with him knitting and how cool calm and collected he looked was just so great and speaking of diving uh, jordan windle i believe uh, great story youngest u.s diver in uh in u.s history 22 years old why is his story fun his story is fun because a uh, former Navy vet Jerry Windle uh, adopted him from an orf orphanage in Cambodia. Uh, he was a N Navy vet. He was also gay and at the time was not allowed to uh, adopt. But during his time in Vietnam, he had seen the atrocities that had happened in Cambodia and he wanted to help in some way. And so wanting to be a father his whole life, he adopted Jordan. Jordan picked up diving by chance at camp and then ended up being an Olympian competing for his country. The only thing missing from that was his father not being able to be there, but talking about the connection that they have, seeing how proud his dad was. I thought that was amazing. That was an amazing story. Skateboarding was a new Olympic sport this year. And why was it fun? Well, it wasn't just fun for me because I'm looking at the sneakers that these skateboarders are wearing because I myself like to wear certain skateboarding shoes, but it was the fact that the best athletes in the world were actual kids, 13 years old, female gold and silver medalists. I even hesitate to call them female. They're girls, 13 years old. My nieces are that, that young. And you know what was awesome about it? Is the fact that those kids were having legitimate fun. You could tell they were being kids out there. And I think that's amazing. So much of what the Olympics come with is high stress. The competition is fierce. And these kids were going out there and having such a great time, taking pictures with Tony Hawk, who right now is in his 50s, right? But he's an icon, absolutely have to love it. And just being able to be kids was so wonderful. Even in the swimming pool, Lydia Jacoby, 17 years old. She's in high school, ladies and gentlemen, high school. 
and she's competing in the Olympics and she was the first Alaskan athlete to ever win a medal. And she ended up shocking the world by winning gold medal in the backstroke. They showed her family in Alaska who, my goodness, how excited were they? And it got me to actually thinking about what would I be like if my son made it to the Olympics? I asked my wife this and I was like, would we go? And she was like, well, I don't know, maybe. And I'm like, oh, I would be there. I wouldn't even care what the logistics look like, how much it costs. I'd want to be there. And even if my son finished dead last of all the athletes, he competed in an, in an Olympics. And to me, that is worth noting. Uh, one more before we get into the close. So 46-year-old gymnast from Uzbekistan. I don't want to say her name because I know that I won't pronounce it correctly. So my apologies there. She received a standing ovation in what was her eighth and final Olympics. That is amazing. 46 years old. That's older than I am. To think about competing in an Olympics, making a, an Olympic team, and just being able to compete there in a sport that is for the youngest of the young. Generally under 20 years old or just above 20 years old is the sweet spot for gymnasts, which is why Simone Biles is considered quote unquote old in that sport. So to be 46 and compete, I just thought that was wonderful. Here's something to think about as we get toward the close of this episode, as it relates to the Olympics. And I thought about this as we were getting toward the end of these Olympics, is that we are so used to seeing these high profile athletes on TV, right? If you go to the social media accounts of so many of the high profile American athletes, they're verified with a check mark. They have sponsors. Katie Ledecky, most of her posts are sponsored. Not no shade at all. I'm just saying that like they are sponsored. They're high profile. They make so much money out of the sport that they compete in. But majority of these athletes go back home to normal lives and i'm talking about not just in the united states but think about being like a shot putter somebody who does the hammer throw a canoeer a kayaker all of these super niche sports that you don't ever think about in in between olympic games they compete they you know maybe bring home glory to their home country and they go back to doing whatever it is that they were doing training working who knows what their jobs are a lot of Olympians don't ever amount to something that gets put on a Wheaties box. They go back to their mundane lives. And I don't say mundane as in like they're uh, as a bad thing. I'm just saying they go to the Olympics and it becomes part of who they are forever, but their lives don't drastically change. They have the same kind of jobs that we all do. They're regular people. And I think that's what I want to point out is that these Olympics were for so many different people while ratings were massively dropped from years prior. To me, I think there was something about these Olympic games that really stood out. And if there's one thing that I think we miss about it in this country, it's that the idea of patriotism, the idea that you can root for your country, that you can be pro-American has been so muddled in today's day and age. There's a large group of people who have made it about uber conservatism, and that's not necessarily how it has to be or what it is. I think too that we think that people who are conservative can't love this country because the way they want to go about it is different than the way you want to go about it. I think you can argue that there are certain ways in which people want to go about it that are anti-humanity and you can make that argument. But ultimately, loving this country doesn't have to be a political agenda and it shouldn't. And in the Olympics, it's not supposed to matter. And I don't know if ratings were down across the board because people were tired of politicism in their athletes. But let me just tell you this, these athletes are human beings. They are real humans. Not every single athlete who competes for this country believes that this country is for them. There are a lot of black athletes who want to compete for this country, but also want this country to love back, right? To compete for them in return. 
And I think that's something that's lost. So you might look at a black athlete and think, how could they disgrace the, the anthem or disgrace the flag? Think about the ways in which this country may have disgraced them personally or people that they know. And I think we discount that. So to all the Olympians, my biggest congratulations. I will miss the competition. I already don't know what the hell to watch on TV. But in France 2024, you damn right. I will be there. I will be in front of my TV and I will be watching everything that I can and thinking the same things that I do today. So congrats to them. And congrats to you for sticking with me on this episode of Soulfully Casual. Coming out a little later than I'm used to. Life gets busy, but here we are on a Monday, ready to forge forward. Um, take a look at MattyIceMedia.com for all your podcasting needs. Drippin' Sports coming out Tuesday and Friday this week. Uh, this episode is on a Monday. We'll come back on a Thursday. And I just really look forward to doing this. It is my catharsis in many ways. So I appreciate everybody sticking with me. Soulfully Casual Podcast on Instagram, MattyIceMedia at gmail.com. Anytime you want to get in touch with me. Hope everybody has a great week. I'll talk to you on Thursday. Be safe. Soulfully Casual is exclusively owned by Matty Ice and is brought to you by Matty Ice Media.